Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Which encounters have changed your life? You know what I'm talking about? Think about it. When you look back in your life, can you identify an encounter that has had a profound effect on you and maybe those around you? When I think of that, I, well, I immediately think of my first encounter meeting Tanil. But I think of my encounter meeting my friend John and how he it became such a significant part of my life and my story, affected everything about me and those around me. Um, I even think to my experience in South Africa when I was 16 years old, meeting a young guy who was 15 named David Murray, who taught me the first chords on the guitar. And in many ways, that set my life in a certain direction. Worship leading, playing has become such a significant way that I've been involved in ministry and in life. It's shaped me. And it was because of that encounter. So when you think of your own life, what kind of encounters have had a profound effect on your life and a ripple effect on the lives of those around you? Maybe you can immediately think of who that is. Maybe you want to be thanking God for them. The truth is, encounters create ripples, don't they? When we meet people, and those special people in our lives can create new relationships, new experiences. They help shape us. They make us. Well, today we're continuing our series in Encounters with Jesus, where we're seeing how uh, meeting Jesus has this incredible ripple effect, not only on the person, but on their community around them. A big thanks to Bill Plant for teaching last week. And we saw that in that story, didn't we? How this encounter with the Samaritan woman created this profound change in her life, but also a significant ripple effect on her community. One single encounter with Jesus can really change everything. Let's pray as we dive in today. Lord Jesus, we want to encounter you. And I pray now as we read through this story in John chapter 9, that we would meet you and be changed. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we are digging into John chapter 9. It's this beautifully long story about one man's encounter with Jesus, a man who had been born blind and then was healed. He not only received physical sight, but as we'll discover, he received spiritual sight as well. And there was a lot of ripple effects on his community as a result. One single encounter changing everything. Now, this is the kind of story today that would be super helpful if you have a Bible, either a physical Bible in hand or you open up a second window. Uh, If you're watching this through church online on Sunday morning or Sunday night, um, right in your chat box, there's a Bible option that gives you access to version, And so you want to find John chapter 9, the fourth book in the New Testament, the fourth of the stories about Jesus, and follow along in that. I'll take us through the story, and then we'll stop along the way and see how this encounter is creating significant change and the effects of this encounter with Jesus and the kind of response that happens. 
well, the very first encounter in John chapter 9 is actually with his own disciples, who now that they're following Jesus, it's like they're in the middle of one long, ongoing encounter as they see Jesus and who he is and, and what he does. They're following Jesus every day now, and so they're learning a lot. They're experiencing a lot. They're being changed in significant ways. John chapter 9, verse 1 begins like this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? What's at the heart of their question here? They want to know who's to blame for this guy's blindness. They want, to, they want to be able to fit his blindness into their worldview, their understanding of how things work. Because you see, they believed, like many did in their day, that when bad things happen to people, it's because they were bad somehow. They deserved it somehow. They weren't wrestling with Job's question of how are innocent people, you know, uh, suffering, but rather they looked at suffering, they looked at blindness or lameness or even, even poverty as a sign that these people had sinned somewhere along the way. Where do we place the blame? And the reverse of that was also true. If they saw someone who was wealthy or healthy or had lots of kids or, you know, whatever kind of they deemed as a good thing, they would say, well, clearly they're being blessed by God. They're, they're in good with God. That, that's a sign of that. That's how their worldview worked. And so they turn to their rabbi, their teacher, and they ask him to make sense of this for them. And Jesus drops a truth bomb on their false assumptions. Listen to what he says. This is in verse 3. 3 through 5. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must carry out the tasks assigned to us quickly by the one who has sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus pushes back against this, can we say it, carmenistic worldview. This view of suffering, where this blind man is clearly getting what he deserved. Rather than this man's blindness being a sign of his rejection, Jesus is going to use it as a demonstration of God's power. Rather than this man's blindness being a sign of God's forsakenness, Jesus will transform it into a display of God's favoredness. That's really significant. And it leads us to a critical way that encounters with Jesus change us. Here's the first one. When we encounter Jesus, he confronts our prejudice through truth. When we encounter Jesus, he confronts prejudice, our prejudice through truth. All over the place, Jesus' actions, his words, his healings, his love, his grace, the way Jesus is with people, they confront long-standing prejudices, whether those are racist, whether those are sexist, like we saw last week, with the woman at the well, all the barriers that Jesus overcame there, or whether they're theological and cultural, like in the story today. In fact, if you looked at the Gospels, you can hardly find a miracle or a story or a parable that doesn't in some way confront the prejudice of the people in Jesus' day. 
the assumptions that they carry about who God is and who people are. And here Jesus takes the disciples head on with the truth. He confronts their prejudice. But now he'll make good on it by healing the blindness in this man. But before we go there, I want to tease out an implication for us. Listen, when we encounter Jesus, you and I, whether that's through the scripture, whether that as we're praying, as we're discovering who he is in the gospels, as we're sharing with each other about Jesus, when when we encounter Jesus, we'll find our prejudices confronted as well. And friends, we need to be willing to let Jesus do that. We need to be open to it because we all carry certain assumptions. We all have been shaped by a worldview that is not from Jesus. We've all been twisted and warped. Even our theological convictions are tainted by sin. And all of that needs to be continually reframed and reformed and confronted by Jesus himself. That's part of what it means to follow him. You know, think of these disciples of Jesus. Rather than seeing suffering as something that God wants to use to heal this man and display his power, they're viewing it as something that they could use to justify condemning this man even further. And that's a profound difference. Our theology, that's the way we think about God, or our ideology, where we think about the world and how it works, some of which is buried very deep within us, that creates in us snap judgments and reactions to people around us, particularly when people are suffering in in ways that we can't understand or experiencing difficulties in their lives or their community that we don't really know much about. And these judgments can be completely counter to the person of Jesus. So we need to let Jesus confront us. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you should expect that. We should expect that. We see that all through the gospel stories, all through the scriptures. And rather than being defensive or hard-hearted when we're confronted with these honest questions, when we're confronted with who Jesus is, we need to humble ourselves before him. Let him probe us. Let him dig in deep and change the way we think, the way we feel, that move us more toward grace and restoration. You know, the horrifying discovery of these buried indigenous children under the Kamloops Residential School has reminded us again and again with force that a diseased theology married to an idolatrous nationalism destroys human lives. Let me be really clear. The Canadian church, not just the Catholics, but the Canadian church, under the banner of Christ, and yet forsaking his truth, forsaking his ways, align themselves with an anti-indigenous, pro-European policy of racial assimilation for economic gain. And together, many, many, many indigenous children and families were destroyed. If our theology leads us to discard others, to deface images of God, to refuse to honor or respect or to love, but instead to hurt and to destroy, then there's something desperately wrong with our theology. There's something absolutely evil about our worldview. And Jesus needs to confront that in us because our theology has a real-life impact on other people, as we see in this horrifying discovery. I'm going to come back to this later at the end, but just see this for now. We need to humble ourselves. 
Allow Jesus to confront our prejudices. Let his truth reform us, reshape us, change us. Do that humbly, undefensively. The thing that I've been noticing is that way too many Christians get defensive when we talk about our history, when we talk about the sin of our past. We don't need to be defensive. We need to be humble. We need to let Jesus, the person of Jesus, the way of Jesus, confront our prejudices, both in the past and even today. Lord Jesus, would you come and confront our prejudice with your truth? Like you did on this day with the blind man and, and, the, and your disciples. Would you do that today in us? All right, encounter number two. And this was with the blind man himself. So Jesus finishes this confrontation with his disciples with a powerful identity statement. He says, I am the light of the world. And John loves these I am statements. You can trace them through the whole gospel. This one is, I am the light of the world. And then he makes good on that. It says that Jesus then spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes, which you got to just think about this for a moment. That would be a weird experience. He's blind, right? So all he hears from Jesus is, well, I don't want to make the sound online here. It's kind of gross. But you know what I'm saying? Get some spit together. That's all he hears. Then not sure what's going on. And then the next thing he knows is mud is being put on his eyes. Can you, can you grasp what that would have been like at that moment? I mean, you may have even wondered, are you just being further insulted by this guy? Because now he's rubbing spit mud in my eyes. Well, Jesus tells him to go what I'm sure he wanted to do at that very moment, which is to go and wash. Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Wow. This is Jesus through and through. Remember what Jesus said? He said, through this man's blindness, God's power was going to be displayed, and here it is, on display. This is our second point. When we encounter Jesus, he restores wholeness through healing. That is just Jesus all the way. He heals. He restores. He makes right. He renews. Grace and restoration just oozes out of Jesus. Because this is a guy, wherever he went, people saw him and they looked down on him. They saw him and they condemned him. He was unloved. He was less than. And Jesus takes this man and he heals them, revealing God's desire for him and for us. Revealing God's power of restoration. And talk about changing everything. I mean, this man's whole entire life changed. From now on, he literally would mark his life from, you know, BJE, before the Jesus encounter, and AJE, after the Jesus encounter. His whole life split in half from the moment he received his sight from Jesus. And we'll come back to this man at the end of the story because his story and the effect on him spans. But let's tease out one more implication for us. When we see suffering, what's our response? Is our response impulse shaped by Jesus' restoration impulse? In other words, instead of seeing suffering or sickness or hurt or devastation as something to be justified within our worldview, can we see it as something to be rectified in Christ? Now, we need to wrestle through why things are wrong so that we can particularly address the causes of hurt, 
But too often, we can be guilty of trying to figure out why the hurt is there or why the suffering is happening just so that we can feel kind of let off the hook. Well, well, we know why they're having that difficulty or we know why that's a mess and we want to put the blame back on them. Whether that's a broken family, whether that's a business failure, whether that's someone's mental illness, whatever it is. Jesus calls us to look deeper than that. We look at the suffering. We look at the causes of suffering. But we do that with a a total Jesus-shaped bent toward grace and restoration and healing, where we're not looking at evil as something to be explained away, but looking at evil as something to be confronted so that God's healing and grace can flow. This reminds me again that an encounter with Jesus is what brings healing into our lives, into your life. But also, through us, God's healing flows to others. That's a huge implication. Jesus, would you shape us by your restoration impulse? Would you drive this deep within us so that by your spirit, we can bring your wholeness to broken bodies, broken communities, broken families, broken marriages, broken hearts? We pray this in your name. Encounter number three. And really, it's a set of encounters that includes quite an array of people. It's the healed man's neighborhood, uh, his parents. And it's the largest section of this story because John tries to tease out all the different ways this encounter with Jesus is having a ripple effect in people's lives. We're going to go through it quickly, but it is a bit of a longer story. So follow along in your Bible if you can. So Jesus tells this guy to go wash the spit mud out of his eyes. And the man went and he he washed and he came back seeing. And now let's pick up in verse 9. So, or verse 8, sorry. Um, His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. You got to think, just because the man's eyes can, are open and he can see, something has changed about him, right? Maybe it's his whole demeanor. No, I mean, his whole, the fact that he's running around. It, I mean, they just, they're not, it's like the context has changed so much, they can't even recognize this. But he answers up himself. He says, but the beggar kept saying, or no, sorry, the beggar says, I, I am the same one. I, I'm the guy. And they asked, who healed you? What happened? Tell us your story. He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I see. He simply tells his story of healing. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because... It was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed them. Remember, on the Sabbath day, they had a lot of rules around not working, and they actually looked at what Jesus had done as somehow breaking that law. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, again, he put mud all over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. It's a pretty simple story at this point. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, 
But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who'd been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? Which is quite something to ask, right? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son. That's a good step. You know, when mom and dad admit that you're theirs. We know that he's our son, but we don't know, and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone that saying that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who'd been blind and told them, God should get the glory for this because we know this man is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the eyes of the blind the eyes of someone born blind, if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Wow. What a story. You see how all these different people are reacting to this encounter with Jesus? Here's the thing. When we encounter Jesus, he stirs up controversy through compassion. He does. I mean, he healed on the Sabbath, which if you read the Gospel of John and frankly some of the other Gospels, it does seem at times like Jesus almost goes out of his way to do something like this on a Sabbath. He's going to stick it to them. He's going to provoke them. He breaks their taboo largely because they themselves had missed the whole purpose of the Sabbath, which was restoration, a sign of God's blessing, a sign of God's love, a sign of God's care. And Jesus had come to teach them the true meaning of Sabbath in his life, in bringing new creation and restoration, but they just saw it through the lens of a law. But Jesus' compassion here was revealing who he is as the Messiah. And people were coming to believe in him. And so this is creating conflict. The parents are nervous, and for good reason, because look what happens to his son. He gets expelled from the synagogue. They don't want that. I mean, 
it's kind of ironic because he went from a man who wasn't really allowed to worship in the temple because and offer sacrifices because he had def- a, a birth defect. Those people were excluded. He goes from that to by the end of the story, because of Jesus' restoration in his life, he's also excluded. That's what religion does. We see, though, how Jesus reveals himself through this, who he is, what he does, how these acts of power and grace, and everyone reacts to that. There's no neutral position on Jesus. His compassion creates controversy. An implication for us? Well, I've told you before how much I despise conflict and controversy. It honestly gives me hives. It's something I'm trying to get over. Sometimes I'm trying to work through. The Holy Spirit has a lot of work yet to do in my life so that I can handle controversy, and I find that I often still try to duck it. But Jesus, when he encounters people, there's always controversy. I mean, read the Gospels. It's happening all over the place. And it usually happens because Jesus consistently confronts people's prejudices through his teaching, through his actions, particularly when he restores wholeness through healing, through welcome. He upsets people's way of thinking, way of relating, way of judging, way of separating out the good from the bad. Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Son of God, the Messiah, He loves people that we at times think He shouldn't love. And He heals people that we don't think deserve it. And He claims things about Himself that, that, that have implications on our lives that we have to pay attention to and ignore at our own peril. Jesus stirs up controversy. He's still doing it today. In fact, I think that if you and I are committed to being Jesus' change agents, to actually living into his compassion in the world around us, we're going to end up stirring up controversy too. That will happen. There will be people who don't like the way that we're loving, who will rail against decisions to, to really be involved in people's lives, to befriend people, who will reject us and even seek to shut us down. And why? Because Christ-like compassion is still controversial. It still is. And you know, Sadly, sometimes that's even true within the church. That we can find fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who will react to Christ-like compassion, who will push away from it. We're even seeing some of that as Christians are reacting to calls to address systemic racism. There is pushback, whether we're dealing with our past or our present when we lean in to, to have compassion on a group of people that have been deemed on the outs, there are those within the church that react and push back. It stirs up controversy. Christ-like compassion still does it. When we encounter Jesus, he offers both healing to us and correction, grace and truth. He does not condemn, but he also offers himself as a sacrificial atoning work. He does it for us. All of this, as he presents himself as the way, the truth, and the life, which is over against any other way, any other truth, any other life. He stirs up controversy. So, Lord Jesus, I do pray that today you would continue with your compassion to stir up controversy in us, among us. That perhaps, Lord Jesus, we would even ask that we, as we lean into compassion for the people around us, we'd be willing to embrace the controversy that that creates because that would be a sign that we're living.
the way he called us to live. Well, let's finish the story with encounter number four, which comes back to the man himself as well as the religious leaders. You could call this final encounter the formally blind and the finally blind. This is how it goes. Verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, that this man had been booted out of the synagogue, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the Son of Man is a title Jesus used for himself, particularly in the Gospel of John. It's rooted in Daniel 7. It has messianic overtones, a bunch of stuff going on there. But it's Jesus' title for himself, and it could be interchangeable with Son of God. So he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answers, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Because remember at this point, the man had never actually physically seen Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus performed this healing on him when the man was still blind. He went away and washed, came home seen, but at that point, he could be looking at a crowd. He wouldn't be able to identify who Jesus is by sight. Well, I love the way Jesus says it. You have seen him. I'm the one speaking to you. He says, yes, Lord, I believe. And the man, and the man then worshipped Jesus. And then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and said, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim to see. What a way of climaxing this story. A challenging end. All of this controversy, all that Jesus has been doing, it climaxes here, basically asking, are you going to see who Jesus is and respond, or are you going to willfully remain blind to what God is doing through him? You know, because Jesus healed this man, you have everything from this man worshiping at Jesus' feet to the others who are literally booting people out of the synagogue who are affirming who Jesus is and what he's done. There's, again, no neutral ground. When we encounter Jesus, he renders judgment through revelation. He renders judgment through revelation. That is, Jesus shows up, and it's as people encounter him, they have to make a decision. Will they see him for who he is? Or will they reject him for who he is? And that response, in effect, is a rendering of judgment. It's a decision that's being made. Jesus placed that in our hands. He's revealing who he is. It can't be missed. And yet there is a choice given to each of us, given to them. How will they respond? Who is Jesus? Do I worship or do I push away? There's implications for us here too, right? For anyone humble enough to see, to seek, Jesus willingly reveals himself to them. In this beautiful story, he comes back and finds this man who's had quite a day of highs and lows, you know, from being healed to being kicked out of the synagogue. Jesus comes to him and reveals himself to him, and the man is just so overwhelmed by Jesus' love and his grace that he worships him. And that's for any of us who are willing to seek him. And maybe you have just been following along for a little while and you're just exploring faith and you're not sure about Jesus. And I just want you to hear that really clearly. 
Look at Jesus. Consider who he is. Look into these stories and find a real person who is alive today, who wants to be in friendship with you, offer wholeness to you, reveal himself to you in freedom and in love and in grace. And you can open your eyes and see him. And my prayer, my hope, is that that will be true for you. But there are others too, and sometimes even among us, others who look at what are, what's happening, who already think we know who God is, we know how Jesus acts, we know how things should be, and we wrestle with this encounter. We're not sure um, we are willing to go that far with Jesus. And, and maybe you find yourself in that spot too, feeling resistant to what Jesus is doing and the way he loves, the way he's calling us to love others. And the only way forward is to humbly admit that. Admit the pride that's there. Admit the struggle that's there. Admit the defensiveness that's there. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you humility. Bend your knee to him. Repent of the ways that you have seen life through a certain lens that actually has been cut off from Jesus himself. Repent and ask Jesus to change your hard heart so that you can get in on what he is doing for you, for us, for everyone. Jesus is the light of the world. And when he shines on us, it reveals what's true. Will it be true of us that we bowed and worshipped or that we resisted and ran away? And Lord Jesus, I do pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, wherever we are today, in our spiritual walk, in our life, in our struggles, that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you and respond. So, when we encounter Jesus, everything changes. He confronts our prejudice with truth. He restores wholeness to us through healing. He stirs up controversy through compassion. And then he renders judgment through revelation. This is all true. My hope and prayer is that Jesus would lead us forward. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.